of secret failings flee, let us now come before him in prayer. The scripture reading for this morning is taken from the first letter of Peter. First Peter. And we will be reading First Peter chapter 1, the verses 3 to 12. First Peter 1, the verses 3 to 12. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or a time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit, sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. The Word of God. In response to... The Word of God. Let us now sing together from Psalm 69. Psalm 69, verse 11. The text for this morning is taken from the same chapter, 1 Peter chapter 1. And we'll be reading the verses 6 to 7. And I would encourage you to keep your Bibles open as we move into the sermon after we've read the text. The word of God. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ.
beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Before we get into our passage, I want to ask you the question, does your faith give you reason to rejoice? In today's society, people have all kinds of reasons to rejoice when they put their faith in something. If you put your faith in the stock market, you'll rejoice when you see the numbers go up. If you put your faith in your ability to save money, you'll rejoice when you see your mortgage numbers going down. If you put your faith in a particular sports team, you'll rejoice when you see them doing well in the standings. Or, in the case of certain teams, if they win any game at all. If you put your trust in your family during a hard time, you'll rejoice when they come through for you. Putting your trust or your faith in different things results in joy when they come through for you. And for the Christian faith, this is especially true. We may have days when our faith wavers. We may have seasons when we feel far from God and far from passionate about our faith. But we do know that God is good and He is faithful and generous and kind to those who seek Him. He gives us a joy that is grounded in eternity. And today we will see how that works its way out in the following passage in 1 Peter. And we'll see that under the following theme and points. Awaiting your heavenly inheritance. First of all, with a joyful faith. Second, with a genuine faith. And third, with a grounded faith. Now, if you are a a visitor today, or someone who's not put your faith in Christ up to this point in time in your life, walk alongside us as we examine this passage and ask yourself, is my joy limited to this world? Can I have a joy that goes beyond this world? The answer of the Christian to this question is yes. But what do we rejoice in and why? Our text begins by answering this very question when it says, In this you rejoice. What is the this that the audience of Peter are talking about? What are the Christians scattered around the Roman world rejoicing in? Well, look to verse 4 with me for a moment. We see here that the common hope of the Christian world is the inheritance that lies in store for us. But it's an inheritance that we can already taste the beginnings of now, Peter writes. And it's with this as his foundation that Peter begins to build the structure of his letter. He's writing a letter of hope. A letter encouraging people in their struggles. And a letter meant to give them confidence in the face of the trials that lie ahead of them. Now, several weeks ago in in Owen Sound, we spoke about the Christian pilgrims that Peter is writing to in the first verses of his letter. And this was their position. They were pilgrims not of an earthly holy city and not of an earthly Jerusalem, but they were pilgrims going on towards a heavenly Jerusalem. They were traveling through life to a new heavens and a new earth. 
We go through life with a destination in mind. Now, today in our passage, we see Peter adding a second picture to the first one that he has in the introduction of his letter. We're not only pilgrims, he says, but we are heirs. Today you can choose to make someone an heir, and they might not even know about it until a lawyer knocks on their front door with the paperwork. But in the ancient world, this was different. If you were a slave, for example, and you were made an heir, then you became no different from a son. You were taken under the protection of their roof, you were given the family name, and you were given all the rights and all of the privileges that came with being a son. You became family. This is the life of the Christian as the heir to the kingdom of God. You have become part of the household of God as we read in Ephesians 2 verse 19. We're family. We're family. But we haven't received our inheritance in full yet. But as our pilgrims and heirs, even though we haven't received this inheritance in full, it's not just something that is a vague hope. What we are moving towards is a destination that the Apostle Peter rejoices in now. And you can see this in the words of our passage as a whole. He begins by writing, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Blessing and praise towards God is something that is flowing out of a joy that he already holds on to. It's not something that he plans to give God in the future once he receives something, but he's already received the beginnings of something now, and so he's giving blessing, honor, and praise to God at this very moment in time. Because what he is experiencing as a Christian is something that he is already experiencing now. We read, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, sometimes we have this picture of our lives as something that God kind of steps back from. We have something to look forward to at the end of days, but what about now? Well, Peter wipes out that kind of thinking with overflowing joy and a word picture that brings us back to the Gospels. God has caused us to be born again. Peter is using language of new birth. And he's drawing on something that his rabbi, Jesus, had already said many years before. In John 3, Jesus Christ speaks to Nicodemus, saying, Unless someone is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Being born again is a sign of the new life that you receive in Jesus Christ. It's a sign of mercy that's already being poured out on you through Jesus Christ. This gift is a supernatural gift that those who believe in Jesus Christ have already received, Peter says. If you truly believe in Jesus Christ, and if you have your faith in Him, you who are here today have been born again. 
You are born again through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's how we gain the assurance that we are raised to new spiritual lives ourselves. You are born again to an inheritance that is incorruptible and undefiled and does not fade away. That is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. In Greek, these are three words that come in quick succession. They're brief, they're pointed, but they have incredible impact. Incorruptible or imperishable, as we read here. The root of this, you can see, is the word perish or to die. Everything in this world has a lifespan. Everything living or non-living is subject to the law of entropy, meaning it will wind down and die or it will become corrupted. It will return to dust in one way or another. But even if we ourselves die, the inheritance that we receive will never die. It's eternal. We see here as well that it is undefiled. This is a word which in the Greek means that it's ritually pure. The inheritance that we receive is not just beautiful and incredible by our standards, but it's seen as something that's beautiful by God's standards. We have received something that is considered beautiful even by God's standards. Think about that for a moment. And finally, we see that it is unfading. It never loses quality or beauty. Some of you boys or girls may wonder if we will ever get bored in heaven. This word shows us that no, we won't. The inheritance that we get from God because of Jesus Christ never loses its wonder. It never loses its quality or its beauty. It's unfading. As heirs, we can look forward to a heavenly inheritance. We, who are given the family name of God, as heirs, we are kept from falling from this position by the power of God through faith for salvation, as verse 5 puts it. And this salvation, which we already taste in part, will be revealed in its fullness in the last days. Now, we saw how other earthbound and other time-bound things that people put their faith in give them joy. And this should lead us to ask ourselves, does this hope that I have, this hope in the inheritance of Jesus Christ, this hope in something that is imperishable, that is incorruptible, that is unfading, is this hope that gives me joy? Do Do I dwell on this? Do I meditate on this? Do I think on this? And in thinking on this, does this give me joy? Beloved, we're given an incredible gift. One which was a reason for great joy for the people of the diaspora, the pilgrims who were throughout the world in Peter's day. Peter said to them, In this you greatly rejoice. Do rejoice in this same inheritance that you share with the early church through Jesus Christ. Take time to slow down and to marvel about it. 
Learn more about it through the reading of God's Word so that you can gain a better appreciation and love for it. Seek that joy where it can be found in Jesus Christ. And this brings us to our second point. Await your heavenly inheritance with a genuine faith. Well, in the opening words of our text, we read, In this you rejoice. But the first response that will arise almost without fail is, How can I rejoice if I'm suffering? Maybe we aren't facing the persecution and opposition that the Christians who received Peter's letter are facing, but we do have our own struggles, we do have our daily struggles. And these are real. If God wants me to rejoice, you might say then, if God wants me to rejoice, why do I go through difficult times in my life? The answer that Peter gives his readers is brief. He says they struggle so that the genuineness of their faith may be revealed and that it may result in praise, honor, and glory for God. The picture that he uses is one of gold passing through a fire. Fire purifies and tests the metal, and the gold comes out purer at the other end. But even gold perishes. Even gold will tarnish and corrupt over time. Their faith, however, is not just much more precious than gold, but he goes on to say that it's much more durable than gold. So what makes faith so precious? What makes faith precious is not just what your faith points to. Your faith is what ties you to Jesus Christ. It's by grace you have been saved through faith, and that faith is worked in your heart by the Holy Spirit. That in itself is of ultimate value. But that is not the only thing that makes our faith precious. What makes faith even more precious is what a genuine faith produces. Because if you believe in Jesus Christ, then you are in Christ. As we read in Galatians 2 verse 20, you are in Christ and it is Christ who lives in you. And if Christ does live in you, then this will come out of your life in very real ways. Now when things are going well, when, things are do- when, you're, when your life is doing fine and everything is good, it's easy to put up a pretense, it's easy to put up a mask and to show the world, I've got a pretty polished up faith. But when we run into difficulties in life, that is when our true colors begin to show. That is when we are given the opportunity to see, is my faith real? There are two outcomes to this question. Is my faith real? One is the one of a genuine faith. And that's something we'll get into in a moment. That's the one that Peter continues with. But the other one is of someone who says with their mouth they believe, but their heart is actually godless. We'll look at the godless heart first. The godless heart is described as a heart that has a bitter root in Hebrews 12 verse 15. This New Testament picture is pulled from the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy, chapter 29, verse 18. 
Moses talks about those whose hearts turn away from God, even while they are members of the covenant. Even while they are members living among the people of God and they receive the signs of the covenant, their hearts turn away from God and yet they believe themselves to be secure. Such people, he says, have a bitter root in their hearts and they can cause great damage to the people around them. He goes on to describe them further in verse 19 of that passage by saying that such a person blesses himself in his heart, saying, I shall have peace even though I follow the dictates of my own heart. This is a person who feels confident in God's security. And yet he walks in stubbornness of heart when it comes to certain sins in his or her life. He or she says, that's just my character. Or, they just shouldn't push my buttons. If they didn't push my buttons, it would be fine. Their sins don't chafe. They sit comfortably. Their heart allows them to rest being okay with this sin in their life. And this person says, I shall have peace even though I follow what my heart says should be okay, when, my, when God himself says that it is not. Such a person's faith, says the Holy Spirit, such a person's faith is not genuine. But how do I know if that's the kind of person that I am? How can I examine myself to know if my faith is maybe false if my confidence is misplaced. A bitter root produces bitter fruit. And there are a few places where the fruit of the sinful flesh are more clearly outlined than in Galatians 5, the verses 19 to 21. You see this coming right before the fruit of the Spirit. We read there, Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresy, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. If instead of going to war against sins, if instead of going to war against sin, you hold them comfortably in your heart, saying, I shall have peace, even though I follow the dictates of my own heart. God himself declares that your faith is not genuine. And you will not inherit the kingdom of God. I want to highlight some of these slightly less obvious fruits again for a moment. And listen to these. Hatred. Outbursts of anger or wrath. Selfish ambitions. Dissensions. Dissensions is an attitude that enjoys causing division. Envy. Beloved, examine yourselves. Are these attitudes 
that you hold comfortably within your heart? Are you okay with these sins? This should be a reason for fear. Because God is a holy God. And He doesn't stand for us embracing sin. Now contrast this with the fruit of a genuine faith. A genuine faith is worked in our hearts by the Holy Spirit Himself. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 3. And if the Spirit of Christ does live in you, then the fruit of the Spirit comes out. And the fruit of the Spirit is, is what follows immediately after the works of the sinful nature in Galatians 5, the verses 22 and following. We read, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. To see whether or not your faith is real. To examine yourself thoroughly. Ask yourself, when troubles come, what's the result? I recently heard the comparison. Your inner life is like a cup of liquid. When your arm is jostled, what comes out? Christian, when your life is jostled, what comes out of you? Is it the fruit of bitterness? Is it rage, self-pity, envy? Is it the fruit of sin? Or is it the fruit of the Spirit? And this brings us to our third point. You'll notice as we move forward through our passage that Peter doesn't leave his readers hanging on the question of whether their faith is genuine or not. Their response, he says, has spoken for itself. Even though they were grieved by various trials, the genuineness of their faith has been revealed. The fire of affliction burned away impurities and what was left was beautiful. Because what was left was grounded in Christ. You see, you don't arbitrarily throw gold into the fire. When we read a passage like this, when we read a passage like this one, and we do see some of these sins coming up in our lives, these sins that we struggle with cropping up in our lives, and they convict us, then a passage like this is comforting because you don't throw gold into the fire if it's already pure. You throw gold into the fire so that the impurities that are found in it can be burned away. When we enter into suffering that God places on our path, we recognize that we are sinful. Our sin is brought to light. And when the cup is jostled and that sin spills out, the Christian doesn't stand back and let it sit. The Christian flees to the one on whom his or her faith is grounded, Jesus Christ. We come in humble repentance at the exposure of our sin to the only place where we can find forgiveness. 
We pray that God would take away our sin for the sake of His Son. We repent. We repent. And we turn away from it. And in this way, Christ's name is glorified. Christ's name is glorified because His work in our lives is real. We do not see Him, but we love Him. Because He has washed away our guilt. And it is His Spirit who is at work in us, who is bearing fruit in keeping with repentance, who is bearing fruit in keeping with our new life. We do not see Him, but we love Him. It's for this reason that though now we do not see Him, as our passage goes on to say, yet believing we rejoice with the joy that is inexpressible because we receive the end of our faith, the salvation of our souls in Him. And we know that at the end of days, it's on the basis of Christ's sacrifice alone that we will stand. In discussing Lord's Day 15 in Owen Sound recently, we are brought again to that recognition of Christ's perfect obedience throughout His life. And we spoke of how Christ's obedience allows Christians to know that the only way we can stand before God at the end of days is on the foundation of His work. I'm so thankful for the obedience of Christ. No hope without it is the cry that is on our lips. And we see this we will see this more fully displayed in Christ's declaration on that last day. Having repented, having asked for forgiveness from our sin, and seeking and striving to turn away from it in the strength of the Spirit supplies, and seeking to live a new life, not because we want to, but because Christ wants us to. And He lives in us, and we love Him. Having repented and looked to Christ in faith, we find our joy on that last day because He stands before us as our living hope. Our faith, tested by fire, is proven to be genuine because as we are tested by fire and the impurities are revealed, they are burned away as we once again turn to Jesus Christ. And rest on Him alone, who stands there as our living hope. On the last day, our heavenly inheritance is one which you might say, for which the debts are already paid. The paperwork is already signed. That inheritance is ours already. And we are embraced, we are welcomed, and we live within the family of God. And we look forward to receiving it in full. Only for the sake of Christ. This is the way it's always been. Only in Christ. This is the salvation that the prophets spoke about thousands of years before Jesus came. It's the salvation which angels longed to look into. Beloved, our faith is grounded in Christ. Where we have wandered... Or for those who haven't put your faith in Christ, listen to the words that are written down in the Word of God. 
whether those thousands of years before His coming, throughout the course of the Old Testament, or those which we read in our passage today, be convicted by this and turn in repentance. Let your being jostled, your being put through a purifying fire, be an opportunity for the burning away of sin in your life. And rest on Jesus Christ alone, seeing truly how precious your faith in Him is. Amen.